Amen. Thank you, Christy. Uh, Christy's in-laws, um, Kurt and um, Wanda Bicknell, uh, were just mentors to my husband and I, and I taught alongside Wanda for years at ECS, and uh, I remember the first day we went into Sunday school class with the Bicknells, they um, were praying about selling a motorcycle, and, and my husband and I walked out and said, who prays about their motorcycle at church? <laughs> and, but then we found out that you pray about everything, don't you? <laughs> and so they were precious to us. I think I'm supposed to show my family. I, I, I looked around for a picture. Uh, the adults didn't make it, but the grandchildren did. <laughs> So, the one with all the hair, he's the oldest. <laughs> That's Richard, and his uh, little brother in the blue is uh, Charlie. Richard's 15, and Charlie is 11, and they are the children of my daughter Beth and her husband, um, David, and he's a wonderful son-in-law. And then um, the one in the camouflage is Leslie, and his little brother McLean is in front of him, and uh, Marcel York and I share those two grandchildren together. They are the children of my son Les and his sweet wife, Ashley York. And then the last two, our only granddaughter, <laughs> and um, uh, Mary Elizabeth and her little brother William, and they live in Franklin, and they're the children of my son Will and his wife Jen. So we have five boys and uh, one little girl, and she's our little princess. <laughs> so anyway, I'm so thrilled to uh, have the opportunity to share with you uh, today. I told Chrissy I'd been out of the saddle a while <laughs> for teaching, but I'm thrilled to be able to share God's Word with you today as we look at a familiar passage. I was thinking about this as I looked at this passage, especially Exodus 19 and 20, and I was thinking, to me... This is such a picture of preparation, of God preparing his people. And if there's one thing women know about, it's preparation. I'm going to ask for a show of hands. How many of you prepared breakfast this morning? And that counts coffee. <laughs> okay, and how many of you prepared lunches for children? Okay, some people did, yes. And how many of you drove carpool to school this morning, preparing children to go to school? Yes. My husband and I attended a wedding in Knoxville recently, um, and we got there very early. It was outside, and the uh, wedding coordinator had taken ill. So all of the early guests that arrived helped with the final preparations of the wedding. And whether it's a huge event like a wedding or a small event like packing a lunch, women understand preparation, don't we? And that's what I saw in this lesson. I saw how God was preparing his people to live for him. They had come out of uh, slavery, 430 years of slavery in Egypt. And now he's preparing them to live as free people, free to love and serve God. And so as we look at this, we're going to see it uh, in two divisions today. The first division is God prepares his people to meet with him in Exodus 19, and then God prepares his people to live for him in Exodus 20. And we're going to see here one of the main thoughts. There are a lot of main threads here. But one of the main thoughts is that God calls believers' lives to glorify him. You know, you can't just live anyway if you belong to God. Your life has his mark on it. And he calls us then to glorify him in the way that we live. 
So let's just go to the Lord before we begin. Heavenly Father, how we thank you for this day and this time in your word. Father, may your word speak to us and capture our minds in a new way in these next few moments so that our lives will better glorify your precious son in whose name we pray. Amen. Thinking back on our, on our study this far, and I was thinking of creation and how God prepared the whole earth before he brought Adam and Eve, didn't he? And then when Adam and Eve sinned, God prepared a way out for them. In uh, Genesis 3.15, by promising them a savior. And so we go on and we see Noah. And Noah prepared an ark, the ark being the picture of who? Who was the ark a picture of? A picture of the Lord Jesus, the safety in the ark, yes. And then we go on and see that God called a man to him, Abraham, preparing Abraham to be the father of a nation. And Abraham's great-grandson then, sold into slavery by his brothers, Joseph, goes down into Egypt. Seventy people, finally, his family joins him and... Seventy Israelites come down into Egypt, and what happens? Last week we saw millions come out of Egypt, and God had prepared a mighty nation to be his people. And so, as we look at our lesson then, and I was thinking of how, in all that preparation, how Carolyn gave us a beautiful lesson of how God covered and protected his people even in the Passover, how he brought them out, but first he protected them, didn't he, from the death angel. I loved that lesson last week. And all the while God is preparing them, he's revealing himself to them as he goes along. And Allison taught us how God reveals himself through his names and through his actions we learn about God. And so then we get to our lesson here. All the while in the Old Testament, it's just God is preparing his people for the Lord Jesus. And he's shouting, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. And in the New Testament, what do we hear? He's here. He's here. He's arrived. And so we see as we open our Bibles, if you'll open your Bible or your device, however you're look, reading this morning, to Exodus 19, we'll get started with uh, God prepares his people to meet with him. We read in the first two verses that it's been uh, three months that, uh, since they've left Egypt. And God has brought them here to this place, Mount Sinai. And he has a very specific reason for bringing them to this place at this time. Especially so that he can speak to them and make a covenant with them. In biblical language then, a covenant is a promise made by God to an individual or to a group. The Mosaic Covenant, or the Ten Words, or the Ten Commandments, is a special covenant, and it is a conditional covenant. We learn in the Bible there are two kinds of covenants. There's a conditional covenant, and there's an unconditional covenant. We've already looked at an unconditional covenant, and that was with Abraham. God promised Abraham many things, and none of it, none of it depended on Abraham. It was unconditional. God promised him to build him a nation, to give him a land, to give him a son. He promised him all those things, and none of it was dependent on him. That is unconditional. But when we get to the Mosaic Covenant that we're studying today, we see that it is conditional. 
If the Israelites will do thus and so, then God will bless them. And that's a conditional covenant. So, going back to Mount Sinai, the exact location is not known. It's really more of a mountain range. But many scholars believe that this location was the same place that Moses saw the burning bush. We don't know that for sure. But as we look in verse 4, we see, um, let's read verses 4 and 5 and 6 together. Um, You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. I circled that in my Bible because God just didn't bring them out of Egypt for any old reason. He brought them out to himself. Um, Let's see, where did I pick up here? Okay. And now, if you will obey me fully and keep my commandments, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, God's created it all. Verse 6 tells us, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So God is telling Moses, these important things to tell the Israelites. Let's think about this for a minute. Not only did God say that he brought them to himself, but he said he brought them out with eagle's wings, which is interesting because most birds of prey carry their babies with their talons, but not eagles. Eagles are said to carry them on their wings. What does that show us? It shows us the power and the care that God has for his people. And it's tender care that he brought them to this place. And then he says um, that he is going to make this covenant with them. And out of all the nations that they will be his treasured possession. And I love that. As I looked up the word treasured, I found that in the Hebrews, it it is segula, S-E-G-U-L-L-A. And what that means is the king's choice treasury, his royal property, his most prized possession in the king's treasury. Now that is something to think that he called them his treasured possession. And you know, we are that to the Lord Jesus. We are so prized and treasured by him that he gave his own blood for us. That if we would receive him as our personal savior, that we would have eternal life with him. Now, that is true love, that we are his prized possession. And when you think of God loving us that much, that's a message, girls, that we need to put out to the whole world. When I I think about this, I think of Dana Curry and Heather Mercer. Do you remember those girls? They were taken captive in August before 9-11, taken captive by, uh, by the Taliban in Afghanistan. And we prayed for them. Dana Curry was from Nashville, and that was kind of close to home. And we prayed for their release. And when they came to Memphis and I heard them speak, I think Heather was the one that said, when they would tell the Afghan women how God loved them, the Afghan women would put their hands to their ears and say, that is sweet to me. That is so sweet to me. These were women desperate to know the love of God. And so we as believers have that love that should be sweet to us. And not only that, 
that he has called them to be um, twofold identity. He's called them to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So God gives them the purpose now that he has for them in the world, that they are to be a picture. They are to mediate God to the other nations around that and to do to, around them. And to do that, then they had to be separate and they had to be a holy nation. And um, Peter repeats that in 1 Peter 2, 9, that he's calling them to do that. Um, you know, as, we, as they worshiped God and served in the holiness that he was calling them to be separate, they preserved the treasure of God's biblical faith and also the seed of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, Isaiah 49, 6 says, I will make you a light to the Gentiles that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. And the name of that salvation is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he's calling them, just like he calls us as believers, to live lives that glorify him. So the Lord has revealed to the Israelites that uh, who they are and how they are to live for him. And now God is going to reveal who he is. He's going to reveal himself. And so after hearing all what God said, Moses went down and took that to the Israelites. And what did they respond? You did your lesson. What did they say? We will what? We will do it. Spoiler alert, they do not. Okay. <laughs> so, um, the Lord said, I'm coming to you in a dense cloud. And he tells Moses that the people will hear him speaking. They're going to hear me speaking so that they will put their trust in you and in me. And you can imagine hearing the very voice of God. God speaks to us through his word now, doesn't he? And we're alone and we're reading his word and he speaks to us. But can you imagine God's voice coming out of a dense cloud? I think it would have been an overwhelming thing. I know it would have. So the Lord told Moses to get the people ready because in three days he was going to come down. And he told them to wash their clothes and get ready. And he put limits around the mountain. And um, he said in verse 12, whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. Only Moses was called to come up the mountain. Did you all notice that Moses went up and down a lot? <laughs> Did you notice that? You know, if you watch the Ten Commandments with uh, Charlton Heston, he only made it up one time. <laughs> right. But Moses is up and down a lot. And I think that's so sweet because it shows us that God, Moses has this relationship with God, doesn't he? He respects God and he fears God, but he has this respect and this relationship with him. So um, he calls them to wash, wash their clothes, consecrate themselves. And of course, that symbolized inside and outside consecration. And for us, this means that we confess our sins. We keep short accounts with our sin. And we confess daily and we try to live clean before the Lord. Uh, the people prepared themselves uh, as Moses had said. And um, so um, when you and I are going to have the privilege of meeting with God, I, I just have to say we have to prepare to have that time, don't we? Nobody's going to give you extra time to spend with God. If you live at my house, it's just not going to happen. 
the phone's going to ring, somebody's going to come. Today, I'm dog-sitting. You know, if it's not a person, it's a dog. So <laughs> somebody's coming. Somebody needs a ride to school. Somebody needs a meal. And so we have to prepare to meet with God. We have to set, a, set that time apart because it's so important for us to, to nurture our relationship with God. God calls us to glorify Him in the way that we live, but we cannot do it if we don't spend time with Him. You've spent a whole lot of time doing these questions. They are not easy, are they? <laughs> and it takes a lot of time. But do you know every time you're doing that, every time you're spending time in, this, in the Word, then you're, you really have that opportunity to fellowship with God, don't you? Well, on the morning of the third day, thunder and lightning and a thick cloud we see in verse 16. And everyone in the camp trembled. And the sight was so terrifying that Moses himself, we're in Hebrews, we learn that he says he was trembling with fear. So he led the people to the foot of the Mount, Mount Sinai with the smoke and the Lord descended in the fire, smoke billowed up. And the sound of the trumpet, it tells us in the scripture, grew louder and louder and louder. And the voice of God spoke in verses 17 through 19. Can you imagine the awesome moment that that was for these people? To audibly hear the voice of God. And what did God reveal about himself when he spoke, when he came down to the mountaintop? Well, the first thing he revealed is that he was holy. And that's fundamentally who God is. He's holy. And everything about God is holy. His love is holy love. His mercy is holy mercy. His justice is holy justice. His word is his holy word. And his spirit is his holy spirit. That's fundamentally who God is. He is holy. And he also revealed his expectations. He had a certain way for them to approach him. And you know, there's a certain way to approach him today. And that is only through the Lord Jesus Christ. We have a very loving God with open arms, but he has the expectation that we'll approach him only through the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he revealed his grace. The people were so afraid. And if you skip ahead to chapter 20 and verse 19, you'll see that they said, Oh, Moses, you speak to us. If God speaks to us, we'll surely die. And Moses said, said to them, uh, Don't be afraid. The Lord has come in order to test you, in order that the fear of him will keep you from sinning. And so God was gracious to his people, and he revealed his grace. And then he called Moses back up and down the mountain again. He wanted to warn the people again before he gave them the Ten Commandments. And Moses replied that the people would not come. And then God says, go back down and get Aaron and bring him up. In verse 24, and that's what he does. Aren't you thankful that we don't have a boundary set for us to approach God, that we can come directly to him through the Lord Jesus Christ. Through his blood and righteousness, we are able to approach. You know, I love this verse in Isaiah um, 35, 8. It says, God has made a highway of holiness. And that highway of holiness is paved with the blood of the Lord Jesus. And that is the way that we approach him today. 
We approach God through the Savior. We can't be right with Him on our own, but we can come through Jesus, and He can make us right in front of God. I love the uh, hymn, Rock of Ages, because in the third verse it says, um, Nothing in my hands I bring, only to your cross I cling. Simply to your cross I cling. So God reveals He is holy, and He must be approached His way. That's the principle of meeting with God. He reveals to these people that He is holy, and He must be approached in His way. And you know what? When we meet with God, that brings Him glory. So, again, I ask you, have, have you prepared a time each day that you can meet with the Lord Jesus, that you can meet with Him in His Word, and, and bring Him glory by spending time with Him and fellowshipping with Him? Well, not only does He prepare the people to meet with Him, but He prepares the people to live for Him. God presents the Ten Commandments. As we turn to chapter 20, we see that God's primary purpose for coming down on the mountain was to give his people the law. And we see in chapter 19, he prepared them for this. And now, in chapter 20, he's going to give them his law. God is speaking himself in this unique relationship with his people. To the Lord your God, and in the next 17 verses, he is giving them the way that he wants them to live for him. His purposes. And it's so personal as you start out here. He says, um, well, there's a lot of you shalls and more shall nots <laughs> as, he, as he gives them these. But as we start out here in these Ten commands, Commandments, the Lord says, first of all, in verse 3, chapter 20, verse 3, the Lord said, I am your God. You have no other gods before me. It's, if you just count the pronouns there, this is a personal interaction with God and with each person, each Israelite, and with you and with me. He, has, he says, I will have no rivals. I want a personal relationship with you. And so I don't want you to put anybody before me. Not friends, not family, no pet sin that you have to keep. Now, what other gods could the Israelites have had? Well, they had 80 plus going on in Egypt. And so there were a lot of other gods. And God says to them, I'm exclusive and you have me alone. And, you know, I think one of the biggest gods that we rival today is self. Self gets on the throne instead of God. And, and God says, I don't want that rival. I don't want any other rivals. And then he says, uh, in the second one, he says, don't make any idols of any forms. I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, in verse 5, punishing the next generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. So, this is a question of loyalty to God. You know, John Calvin said that um, um, our hearts are idol factories. Isn't that something? And you know, we do have idols today, don't we? I bet you talked about this in your group. Your God is whatever you love and seek and spend time with and allow to control your life. That's your idol. 
as I said, the Egyptians had 80 plus different idols and no telling how many the Canaanites had with all their bales. But for us, sometimes it's pleasure or possessions or position or self or fun or football if it's fall season right now. Just whatever our heart is leaning toward. Heart loyalty is the soil for holy living. When our heart is loyal to God, that's the soil for holy living. And what is the call here? The call is to live lives that glorify God. And, and then our next commandment was not to take the Lord's name in vain. And I loved what we had in our lesson about taking the Lord's name in vain. But, you know, to God, words matter. Did you ever think about that? You know, it hit me hard uh, when I was raising my children. Uh, it's kind of bedlam in the morning getting everybody ready for school and lunch is packed and getting them off. And so with my first child, I'd be driving to school saying, hurry up, finish dressing, we're almost there. You know, and the second one, we did a little bit better, and I would say, son, remember who you belong to today. But finally, I remembered the most important thing I could say was to say something God would say. And then the third son got out, and I would say to him, this is the day the Lord has made. We're going to rejoice and have, have a great day and rejoice in this day because God's made it. Have a great day at school. The final words you say to somebody or maybe the most important thing you ever say to them. Maybe the last chance you have to say something to them. And, you know, it took me three children to learn it, so I'm kind of slow with that. But God did impress me with that. God, words matter to God. And, you know, we learned what words in vain mean. And I was thinking of three things. Irreverent speech about God. Speaking and thinking in a way that insults God or bad language, using God's name uh, as a curse word, or even putting OMG in a text. That's bad language. And then promise keeping. When we use God's name to give our words sincerity, then that's using his name in vain. If you look ahead... In the Pentateuch, you'll see in Leviticus 24, 16, what God thought about taking his name in vain. He said, uh, whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall be put to death. God took it very seriously. Um, and then we go on to our fourth commandment, where we say, uh, where it said to keep the Sabbath holy. Work six days and rest one day like God did. If the Lord's Day is Sunday for Christians, then how do we keep it? We should keep it as Jesus kept it, by worshiping and doing good. Uh, freedom from secular chores frees us to serve the Lord. I like what Matthew Henry said, and I'm just going to read his quote. The Sabbath was made a day of holy rest, so it might be a day of holy work. Physical recreation and family fun are not to be excluded, but worship and Christian fellowship come from, comes first. God's time is your time on that day because God calls his people to live lives that glorify him. 
Well, now those are the first four commandments. And do you, do you think you can remember them after you've studied them? Do you want, you want to show, know how to remember them? Okay. Then you start with the first commandment and put it on your mouth. Put it up here. What are we going to do? Worship the Lord, one God. Okay. The second one, no idols. The third one, in front of your mouth, your three fingers. And that keeps you from what? Taking the Lord's name in vain. And then use four fingers for the fourth commandment to make the church. And that's the Sabbath. So that's how you can remember the first four commandments. The next six, you're on your own. Okay. Okay, so let's look at... So those first commandments are... Really, the first commandment is foundational to the whole... um, To all of the commandments. If we could keep the first commandment, the rest of the commandments would fall in line. But as we go into the fifth commandment, we see that we're supposed to honor our parents so that this commandment has a blessing with it so that our days will be long on the earth. And we're supposed to train our children to honor parents. In the Old Testament, disrespect for parents was a major sin. And what is God affirming here? The sanctity of the family. The family is the basic social unit. And the family is also the basic spiritual unit. And the parent is the head of that family. Now, in, in uh, Commandments 6, 7th, and 8th Commandments, uh, they require us not only to hold a person's life as sacred, but marriage and property and ownership and stewardship were big deals in the, in the Bible. So when we read, do not murder, in verse 13... That reminds us that life is sacred, and I could not quit thinking about this as I sat in the Life Choices Banquet last week. And knowing that years ago, four friends at dinner talked about the problem of abortion, and those four friends planted Life Choices. Just four friends at dinner talking about what we could do about it. And today, First Devan is standing from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. down in front of Planned Parenthood, filling the shifts. They're all filled today uh, for 40 days of life. Life is sacred, and it matters to God because He created it. And we are God's creation, every, every person, from the womb to, till they go to glory. They are God's creation, and life is sacred to Him. Jesus brought that up a notch when he said in the New Testament that anger toward a brother equates as murder. So he brought that into the heart, didn't he? As he did with all of the commandments. And he puts a whole new spin on it as we realize that it's our heart that breeds our actions. And the seventh commandment says don't commit adultery in verse 14. So marriage is sacred And that refers to, um, I think, so many things. Jesus said, if you look at someone with lust, that is committing. Um, You've already committed adultery in your heart. And we know that the mind gives way to, a thought in the mind gives way to the heart, and the heart gives way to the action. And God says it's not acceptable. And you know one reason I think that Marriage is so sacred to God is because 
God used that picture of marriage to compare the relationship of the Lord Jesus to the church. And that's sacred to God, and it should be sacred to us. You know, the heart's um, the heart of God is is <clears throat> the heart of God hurts when our marriage is hurt, and so it's precious to Him. And in verse fifteen, the the um, commandment is, "Do not steal." We finally get to one that we think we haven't done. We haven't been out. We are not on the evening news lately, are we? No, but the God that we know that. Um, this means more than just stealing physical. It also means that we can steal a person's reputation by gossip. We can steal our employer's time by not giving them a full day's work. Just ask the employers what happens during Mount March Madness. 8.4 billion people, 8.4, excuse me, million, 8.4 million people watch a basketball game at work during March Madness. So would, would that maybe be stealing? I think it would be. It would be stealing from our employees. There are a lot of ways to steal. And uh, so then we go on to our ninth, ninth commandment where it says, do not give false t- testimony. False means untrue. Deuteronomy 5.20 says false means insincere. It means Pointing to the deceitful purpose that breeds falsehoods. Why do people lie about each other? Did it start maybe with the father of lies? I think maybe when he lied to Eve in the garden. But you know, when you lie about someone else, that's called malice. When you lie to bring another person down, that's called malice. When you lie to impress someone, well, that's called pride. And I think we need to do what Thumper's mother said to him in Bambi. If you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all. So, lying insults your neighbor. And you may fool your neighbor, but you will never fool God. And then we get to the 10th commandment. And maybe this is one of my favorite commandments because it says, Do not covet anything that your neighbor has in verses 16 and 17. And it goes on to tell us more about that. But to put it in the positive, it means be content. Be content. And I think we live in a world that is not content right now, in an uncontented world. But there's a reason the 10th commandment is number 10. It's number 10 because it's fitting. If we are content, we're not going to steal and lie and break the others, are we? If we have that spirit of contentment. You know, the meaning of the word content is a peaceful happiness or a excuse me, a peaceful happiness or a satisfaction or well-being. And knowing the love of Christ is the one and only source of true contentment. Paul put it like this in Philippians four, eleven through thirteen. Well, I'll just read the first part of it. I have learned in whatever situation I'm in to be content. Timothy said, there is great gain in godliness with contentment. So contentment is really, really the source. Contentment is really the heart 
of keeping all the rest of the commandments. Um, sixth, I'm saying the ones that deal with other people. The first commandments, of course, the first four deal with reverence for God, where the next six deal with respect for people. But they are God's protection for his people to mold them into his nation. You see, they're not prison bars, but they're guidelines. They're not prison bars, but they're traffic laws. You know, I was taking my grandson with all the hair out driving. He's got his driver's permit. And um, his car has this thing. If you go over the white line, the car shimmies. You all know what I'm talking about? Some of those? Yeah, well, we needed, we needed it. So, <laughs> anyway. So, um, but it doesn't shimmy if it goes over the yellow line, which was a problem. So, but I thought as we were riding along and shimmying along that um, that's really what the Ten Commandments are. They're those guidelines for us that help us live life in a way that glorifies God. You see, God gives clear instructions to those who are prepared to listen to him. He gives clear instructions to those who are prepared to listen to him. You've had plenty of instruction. We've had plenty of instruction as we've studied our Bible study this year, haven't we? We've had a lot of it. If we are prepared to listen and obey. You know, we know right away after we study these commandments that we can't keep them. They point us to our need for the Lord Jesus Christ, don't they? And Jesus said, I haven't come to break the law. I have come to fulfill the law. And the word fulfill means to complete, to complete the law. And I was thinking as our lesson asked us to look over into um, Hebrews, that just thinking about Hebrews, and I, I don't know if you enjoyed it like I did, but I loved reading through Hebrews, and Hebrews 8 through 10 especially, because you saw the beauty of what we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. You saw the benefits and the blessings that we have in Him. Um, Hebrews 7, we didn't have to read that, but I read through Hebrews 7, and it said, um, the law uh, made nothing perfect. And um, it couldn't change the heart, could it? But as we began to read through Hebrews 8 through 10, we saw in Hebrews 8, 8 that God said he found fault with the people. He would give them a new covenant. He would put his laws in their minds, and he would write them where? On their hearts. And then he repeated that a little bit in uh, chapter 10, 16. He said, this is the covenant I will make them. After time, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts, and I will write them on their minds. And then in Hebrews 10, 22, we have that beautiful offer to draw near to God with what kind of heart? A sincere heart, a genuine heart. We don't have to be anything except who we are in front of God. He takes us just like we are. And when we come to Him with a sincere heart, we get that full assurance um, that we have through faith, it tells us. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we confess, for he 
who promised is faithful. And isn't that what we've seen through our lessons as we studied this year? On and on, we have seen the faithfulness of our sovereign God to do what he has promised. And what he has promised, he will do. A life that glorifies God begins with a heart of faith. You see, God made a covenant with his ancient people. And God has made a covenant with us through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Believers are blessed to have this permanent faith. And you know, we don't have to fear God, but we need to respect God. I was thinking, I had the most wonderful mother and father-in-law, but when I first met my father-in-law, I was terrified. He was a huge, huge man. He was a county sheriff. He didn't carry a gun. He didn't need a gun. Everybody was afraid of him. And so, and I was afraid of him too. And as I got to know him, uh, I came to respect him. And then I just loved him. He was really lovable, if you could get over the fear. But I got close to him. And when he walked in, he was also a farmer. And when he walked into the den and said, let's go feed the cows, and I was the only one there, I knew he was talking to me. (laughs) And so I wasn't afraid to go into the field with him. The cows were huge. They weren't cute like they were from the road. But because I trusted him and I loved him. And that came out of respect. And, you know, we have a God that we can trust and we can love. And we can walk through this life and bring glory to him through the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, how we do thank you, Lord for these Ten Commandments. Lord, how we do thank you for your word. And most of all, how we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we can do nothing without him. But through Christ, we can do anything, Lord, because he strengthens us. And he gives us your Holy Spirit, Lord, to dwell within us. Father, I pray for each woman in this room. Lord, we're all in so many different places with many different needs. But Father, I pray that today every woman that leaves this place will know that she is loved by you with everlasting love, Father, through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name I pray. Amen.